If you have your Bibles, please turn to Mark chapter 10, starting in verse 17. We're going to go 17 through 27. Uh, it's the verse that was read at the beginning uh, by our worship team, but we're also we're going to go ahead and read it again so that we remember it. All right? So here it goes. Uh, starting in verse 17, it says, As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his, on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do, what must I do to inherit eternal life. Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your, your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go and sell everything you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Then the disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Amen? And so we're continuing our series called The Gospel Series. And we've been talking about the gospel and here's the thing, here's the reason for this, for this sermon series is because I grew up believing that the gospel was meant for the unbeliever. In other words, if I heard the gospel, I had to hear it one time. Once I heard the gospel and I walked down the aisle, did the sinner's prayer, did the thing that I had to do, now I had to move on to more important things or deeper things because I already heard the gospel. I thought that the gospel was for the unbeliever. And so the whole premise of this, of this series is that it really doesn't get deeper than the gospel. Because the gospel is not one of the things that we believe. It is the most important thing. It is the thing from where everything else flows. In fact, the entire Bible is a united story that points to Jesus. It points to the gospel. You go Old Testament, New Testament, it is all pointing to this climactic moment, which is the death and resurrection of Jesus. We said last week, Luther, great reformer from the 1500s, said, I need to preach the gospel to my congregation every week because they forget it every week. I have to preach the gospel to myself because I forget the gospel every day. Uh, he also says the cross alone is our theology. And as a pastor, I'm super convicted about this because, because we're not called to preach 10,000 different things. We're actually called to preach the same thing in 10,000 different ways. It's the gospel. It's about the gospel. That is the main thing. It is the thing that brings us together into this space right now. 1 Corinthians uh, 15, 14 says, this is the Apostle Paul writing this letter to the Corinthians. And if Christ has not been raised, in other words, if it weren't for the gospel... Our preaching is useless, and so is our faith. We can all just go home, right? Because if not, it's just a bunch of moral advice, right? So, so I, wanna, I want us to go to the working definition of the gospel. Like, we're through this whole series. This is the second week. We have two, two more weeks to go. Working definition of the gospel. What is the gospel, in other words? The gospel is the good news concerning Christ as the only way to salvation, okay? Okay? 
And we talked about last week the whole idea of, of that we're pretty clear, I think, on the fact that there is no other. Like, we all think Jesus is the way. Like, most of us in this space, Jesus is the way. We're not looking to Muhammad. We're not looking to Joseph uh, Smith. We're not, you know, um, Allah. Like, we're, we're pretty clear on the fact that it is Jesus. But there's another side to that whole idea, which is, is, is that it's not just no other, but there's also nothing more. That there's nothing more to add to the gospel. It's not Jesus plus my service to him. It's not Jesus plus my good works. It's not Jesus plus my effort, right? So we talked about that whole idea last week in the framework of the story of Mary and Martha, okay? And so today, I want to ask ourselves a question. I want us to ask ourselves this question. Who then can be saved? Who then can be saved? You see, I grew up believing that when you die, you end up in one of two places, right? We've all heard this. You end up in one of two places. You end up in the good place, which is eternal torment, or you end up in the bad place, which is, what did I say? <laughs> all right, that's what I'm saying. Let's just go home. Let's just go home. Like, it's not, it's not you know, I think the baby dedication was, was enough for today. So it's not a good, that's not a good place. It's a hor- horrible place. So that you die and you either, go, you either go to heaven or you go to hell, right? And so hell is, of course, the bad place and heaven is the good place. Heaven is eternal bliss, right? And hell is eternal torment. And so you come to this moment in your life when your life is over and, and there's this list, right? So all the sins that you committed, if you committed a lot of sins, you go to the bad place, you know? If you don't commit that many sins, then you go to the good place, but the problem is, what, like, what's the cutoff? Like, exactly what, what is, how, how good is good enough, in other words, that I can go into heaven, and how bad is too bad that I'm going to end up in eternal torment? And growing up, honestly, I never really got a satisfactory answer to that. I really didn't know what was good enough. So I, got st- I was stuck wondering, and that was not a fun life to live. That was one question, like, how good is good enough, and how bad is too bad? And then the other question was, If Jesus paid in full for the sins of the world, why is it still on us to try to determine where we're going? In other words, this was the transaction in my mindset. It was either you you were good here, right? You were good, so you had to pay the price here, right? And then you went to heaven, or you were bad here, did whatever you want, and then had to pay the price. It did, like, where do, where do we pay? Do I pay in the afterlife or do I pay here? But you always had to pay. There was some place where you had to pay. So the question was then, who, who can be saved? Was the question that would always come into my mind. And it's the, it's the question that the disciples had for Jesus in this story that we just read. And it's the question that I want us to be able to tackle today. You see, because the, the rich young ruler, as we just read, the, this, rich, this rich person comes to Jesus he comes to Jesus, and, and, and he, he's, pro- he's probably heard about Jesus. He's a law follower. He's a good guy. This guy was probably like a go-getter, you know. He had set goals, and he was probably admired by many. And so this guy comes up to Jesus. He comes up to Jesus, right? And, and he heard probably that there's this Jesus that's offering eternal life. And I'm like, hey, I want some of that. In the same way that I have achieved all my goals in my life, I want to know how it is that I can access that eternal life that everyone is talking about. 
So he comes up to Jesus and he asks, what must I do to inherit eternal life, right? He starts out by saying, good teacher, what can I do to, to inherit eternal life? And this is, again, the transaction logic that this rich young ruler had in his mind because he, his logic was, I do this and I get that. That's why he would ask the question, what do I need to do in order to inherit eternal life? So, so basically he's saying, Jesus, give me a to-do list. Hey, I'm good at to-do lists. This, my whole life is to-do lists. Like, you tell me what I need to do, and I will do the thing that you're asking me to do in order for me to be able to inherit eternal life. But Jesus, oh my gosh, Jesus says this. He starts off like this. And when you read the Bible, you have to understand that nothing in the scriptures is random. It's not like, oh, he just said that for whatever reason. He asks a question. Jesus asks the young ruler a question. He says this, why do you call me good? Jesus answered, right? No one is good except God alone. So I used to read that part of the scripture, and I just used to run past it. But that is a loaded question, and here's why. Jesus knows the topic that's about to unfold. He, know, he knows what, what, what questions are going to follow this question. And so this young guy thinks that the way to inherit eternal life is a transaction, right? We just said that, a, a to-do list. But Jesus takes it to, he, he takes him, he thinks it's a to-do list, but Jesus takes him to the real way that he can actually inherit eternal life, right? It's not a to-do list. He, go, he goes to the identity of Jesus. Does that make sense? He thinks that I have to do all these things. And he's like, no, no, no. It's not about the things that you have to do. It's about who do you say that I am, okay? Because, because he just called him good, right? And, and you know he was telling him that there's only one good, one person that's good, and that's God. So either you don't know the Torah that well, or you just confess that I am God. That's what he's saying in this text right now. The rich young ruler corrects himself later, which is really interesting. Um, Jesus just gave him the real way to inherit eternal life by presenting him the real question. Not what do I need to do, but rather who do you say that I am, okay? That's all wrapped up in verse 18. And then he continues by actually answering the question that he asked, which is really interesting. He, he actually answers the question. He does give him the to-do list that he's asking. He's like, you know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not, not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And then verse 20, he says, teacher, he declared. Isn't that interesting? He no longer calls him good teacher because he knows that he messed up. It's, it's, it's a, he corrects himself. This was a subtle way of him saying that he still wasn't sure about the identity of Jesus, okay? Now, since he still had this transaction mentality, in other words, I give you this and you give me that, he believed that he was doing a good job. He says, all these I have kept since I was a boy, right? Verse 21, Jesus looked at him. Remember what it says afterwards? He looked at him and he loved him which is so fascinating to me. He looked at him and he loved him. So I had to meditate on that for a little while to be able to understand why did he look at him and he loved him? Because, because he was, this rich young ruler was so clearly deceived into believing that he had kept all the commandments. And Je but Jesus wasn't angered. He wasn't frustrated. He wasn't disappointed. He wasn't uneasy. He didn't even rebuke him. The question is why? Like why didn't he because isn't legalism what was so disconcerting to Jesus about the Pharisees? So why, why did he look at him and love him, which was actually kind of the opposite of his reaction toward the Pharisees? 
They're all legalists. He felt love, compassion, and tenderness. But then I realized, after thinking about this for a while, I, I realized that when he came to Jesus, you guys remember at the beginning how he came to Jesus? He didn't come arrogantly like, hey, you know, what is, what's, the, what's the deal here? No, no, the Bible says that he fell on his knees before Jesus. I, I hadn't even realized that before. I thought he came to, to Jesus' feet arrogantly. Like, hey, tell me what's the thing, I'll do the thing, and then I'll be in. That's not what it was at all. And I realized that, and, I, and, it, and it dawned on me that, that, that by coming to Jesus with that attitude, he was admitting that even though he had in his mind kept all the commandments from the youth, he knew he was missing something. He knew it. He knew it. His attitude show, showed us that. And then it dawned on me, Jesus loved him because he knew that this humility, he knew that this humility before him meant that it was good soil to plant the gospel there. This, this was fatherly love. Jesus looked at him and, and, and loved him like a dad, you know. He looked at him and loved him like, it's almost like, like I'm about to crush your world. This is gonna hurt, man. It's, it's gonna hurt bad. It's almost like, like, a, like a bird, like a, a mother bird pushing the, the, the bird off the cliff. It's like this is, this is gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna freak you out, but you're gonna soar. I, I know this. I know what's about to happen. So there's this love that he's, he's giving to this person. And here it goes. He says, one thing you lack. Maybe he got out his notepad. One thing. One thing, good. I thought it was more stuff. Like I thought it was gonna be a whole list. One thing, I can do one thing, man. Just give me that one thing, all right? Um, and then he gives him the death blow. Go, sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. Jesus probably said that with that same look in his eye. He probably was still looking at him that way as he takes his dreams his ambitions, his identity, his future, his hopes, and dashes them against the wall, leaving him with nothing. The Bible says in verse 22, at this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Man, I just, I love this story so much. Why did his face fall? Because he realized the impossibility of the gospel. See, no matter how long his to-do list was, he was absolutely not inheriting the kingdom of heaven. No chance, case closed. There's no way. That's what was happening in that moment. He just got the door slammed in his face permanently by Jesus himself. Okay? That's what happened. Now, here, here's, here's, here's what the story is not. Okay, this is very important. For those of you who have heard this story, I want to tell you, this is what the story is not. The story is, is not saying, because I, I grew up believing that the moral of the story was, was this man did not inherit the, the eternal life. Like, the moral of the story was that this guy did not inherit eternal life because he did not do the one thing that was missing. If he had only done the one thing that was missing, then he would have inherited eternal life. He was lacking one thing, one thing. This is where we get the story so terribly wrong. I, I've heard this story preached wrong my whole life. 
This was the final step. He had one thing left to do, one, one step more up the ladder, and bam, he would have inherited eternal life as a result of what he did. You know, and then the application would be, I heard this so many times, that the application of the story was, okay, what is it that God is asking you that is so important in your life to give up for him? What is that thing? You need to give it up. Because if you give up that one thing, then you will inherit eternal life. And so the moral of the story is this. You don't want to end up like the rich young ruler. It's kind of a cautionary tale, right? I heard that my whole life. So I, I like to kind of play out the story a little bit more in my mind in thinking, what if, um, what if he would have done it? What if he would have said, okay, I'm going to go sell everything I got. You know, go, I sold everything. All right, Jesus, here I am. I sold the whole thing. I did everything that you asked. You guys honestly think that Jesus would have said, great, as a result of what you have done, now you can enter the kingdom of heaven. You see, the goal wasn't to give him one more thing to do. That was not the goal. The goal was to deliver this man the final death blow. And what I mean by that is the thing that he felt. What is, it, what is the thing that this guy felt? The, the, the Bible says his face fell, which is a really weird translation because who, who says that? Like, hey, the guy's face fell. Like, what? His face is on the floor? It's a weird translation. But when you go to the original Greek, you're going to realize that it's, it's, it's a strange word called lupio, lupio. And this word means severe distress akin to labor pains. In other words, this guy was so affected that he was probably, it was, it was so hard to hear that he probably walked away even like, like having difficulty walking because of how distressed he was as a result of what he just heard. That's, that's what he was feeling. And that's what Jesus wanted. Why? He didn't want to see him suffer. He didn't want to see, he, he didn't want to see this man suffer. What he wanted for this man to do was to, to finally and definitively give up on his self-salvation project. And the same is true for you and me. You see, verse 23 says, Jesus looked around, because they were affected by what they had just seen. I mean, this guy was like just, oh man, he's like almost on the floor. He looks at it, around at his disciples and he says this, this is a declaration, he says, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God which is something they would, they would probably say amongst each other like normally because there was a lot of, you know, um, talk about the rich and how they would abuse the poor and stuff like that. And so he says this declaration and the disciples were probably like, yeah, it's so hard for the rich to enter the kingdom of, of, of God, for the rich, you know, of course. But then the next verse, he says as he was, um, verse 24, the disciples were amazed at his words. It's almost like insensitive in a way. He's walking away like that and he's like, yeah, how hard is it for the you know, rich to enter the kingdom of God? And they were like, wait, what? And then he continues by saying this. But Jesus said again, he says, children, he says, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. First time he says it to the rich, he's like, yeah, those rich guys. And then he's like, no, actually you too. Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. Now the disciples knew they weren't off the hook either. It wasn't about the rich. It was about them too. And then he drives this point home on verse 25 by saying this. He says, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. 
What is he saying here? What is he saying here? It's an interesting translation, too, with the camel, because some people say that the original writers kind of messed up the word camel because, because camel and rope are almost the same word. One's chameleon and the other's chameleon with an E. And so it's almost like it's camel or rope. Like camel, like almost like rope makes more sense than camel because camel, I mean, sorry, rope makes more sense than camel because rope is similar to like thread, right? So it's like thread, you know, thread and needle, and then with a rope, it's like impossible. But that's, but the point is, even if it's a rope or it's a camel, like, what is he saying? If the camel crouches down and makes the, you know, the right sort of like jujitsu and through the, the eye of the needle, like it's going to be hard, right? What if, what if the, uh, what about the, uh, the rope? Like if you just like thread it perfectly, you're going to be able to fit, like, no, what is he saying? He's saying it's hard? He's saying it's easy? We need to come to that point. You see, he's not presenting a challenge. He's not presenting a challenge. He's presenting an impossibility. And the disciples discovered this. In verse 26, he says this, the disciples were even more amazed. And this word amazed in the Greek is greatly astonished. Not just amazed, like, oh, whoa. It's astonished and even panicked. Like, they panicked. Why were they panicked? They Arguably, they ended up in the same um, state of mind or spiritual distress as the rich young ruler. Like, they were just like, oh, man. Like, like there's no hope. There's absolutely no hope. That's why he asked, they asked at the end and said to each other, they're not even talking to Jesus anymore. They're like, dude, like, how? Like, who? Who can be saved? Who then can be saved? They thought in their minds, I'm, thinking, I'm, I'm imagining Peter. You know, like thinking about, dude, this guy, this guy only lacked one thing. I can think of a couple dozen things that I lack. This guy was a pretty good guy, and he only lacked one thing. What about me? What about us? How are we going to do this? Who then can be saved? And then verse 26 says this. He looked at them and said, with man, this is what? Hard, heavy, difficult, challenging. It's going to take a lot of effort. What does he say? You see, I grew up believing that it was hard, that the gospel was hard. And the truth is the gospel is not easy and it's not hard. It's impossible. It's impossible with man. And that's the point. You see, whatever you call it, escaping judgment, entering the kingdom of heaven, salvation, forgiveness of sins, finding your purpose, finding peace in your life, it's not a challenge Jesus is presenting for you to be able to achieve. He didn't want for the rich young ruler to go away with a, with, with a to-do list. He didn't want the disciples to say, okay, now I just got to try harder and then I will enter the kingdom of heaven. He doesn't want us this morning to walk away saying, okay, now I just got to do better. I got to try harder. No, he wants for us, just like the disciples, to panic. Just like the rich young ruler, to be like, what? Like, wait, there's, there's just no way that we can do this. Once our faces to fall. Christ then says it himself in verse 27. He looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible. So he delivers the death blow, just like with the rich young ruler. You see, we have to come to terms that, that salvation entering the kingdom of heaven is not, it's not a difficult thing to do, but it's an impossible endeavor. Impossible. Because then and only then when we understand this, we will create the space 
for Jesus to come into our lives and to actually save us. He says this, not with God. He continues, verse 27. He says, all things got possible with God. You see, that's, that's the thing. Like with God, yes. With man, no way. Good luck trying. But with God, all things are possible. Which brings me to the question of the beginning of the conversation. I'm going to end with this. Let's, let's go back to the beginning of, the, of this interaction between Jesus and the rich young ruler. Because maybe you're here this morning and you're wondering, what must I do in order to inherit eternal life? What must I do? And I want to tell you, that's the wrong question. That's the wrong question. The question is not, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Because inheriting eternal life is not a, a task for us to tackle, but a person for us to recognize and follow. That's it. That's, that's what it is. This is, the, this is the point Jesus was talking about at the beginning. So I ask you this morning a deeper question. And it's an important one. And it's the, the question that is hidden behind the question that Jesus asks the rich young ruler, why do you call me good? There's only one good, and his name is God. That's the question I want to ask you this morning. Who do you say Jesus is? Who is he? Is he a good teacher? Is he a moral leader? Who is he? It's a question Jesus asked Peter in um, Matthew chapter 16, and Peter answers. He says this. He says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. You put your faith in Jesus and all the things that he did on that day. And so um, I want us to take a moment now as we, uh, as we prepare. I was looking at my shirt because I didn't know if you knew. Oh, there it is, a little bit of sweat, see? Because last Sunday, I, was, I sweated so much. And I, I, was seeing, I was watching the video and as I was editing it, and it was, I sweated so much, man. It was embarrassing. I thank you guys for your grace because like, it, was, it was like you're kind of gross, sweaty pastor on stage. It's like, ugh. Anyway, thank you for loving me anyway. I had a, a person in, first, in second service, because um, my, my shirt was a lot more wet than this, and I come up to her, and I'm like, hey, um, hey, how are you doing? And I kind of go in for a hug, and I'm like, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm all wet. And she's like, oh, did we have baptisms at first service? <laughs> That's literally after last Sunday. And I'm like, no, that's all me. It's all me. So I appreciate you guys', you guys grace. Um, Thank you, thank you. So um, I, just, I just love this family. So I love you guys so much. It's such an honor to, to be able to, to teach here and preach. And um, what I want us to do now is I want us to come into a moment of prayer. So we're gonna do two things. At this, we're gonna do two things at the same time. If, if you need prayer, just in, in, in about a minute, if you need prayer for anything, if, you need, if, if there's someone in your family that needs to be healed, if you're sick, if you're going through anxiety, if you're going through depression, anything that you need prayer for, I, I want to ask you to come forward. In about a minute, I'm going to ask you to come forward, and we're going to have our prayer team come up close to the stage, and also our elders are going to come up close to the stage. And as we sing this song that we're about to sing, I want you to just make your way forward.